1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now look in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I don't know how long it's been since you got a, into a heart-to-heart conversation with the Almighty about your money. Do you know that outside of the theme of redemption, there is no other subject in the Bible that is, has more of a breadth of um, Scripture attached to it than that of the believer's money. The Bible speaks volumes about our finances. And God, whose heart is to always be trusted, gives us some clear guidelines that he promises to bless in our lives. It is always a work of faith. There's not a soul in here. You might be the most generous, greatest-hearted soul in here, giving and giving and giving, but none of us are giving graduates yet. We all have room to grow in this area. So let's humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, and let's be as open to this this morning as if God is saying, I'm inviting you into something that maybe you've never participated in before. And for those of us that have been faithful givers, he is definitely calling us into a deeper level of trust and commitment. And so let's pray to him this morning. Father, rid this room of guilt Put a gate on my mouth so that nothing that smacks of pastoral manipulation is allowed to pass through my teeth. I pray for an anointing of faith on the hearer. I pray, Lord, that every lie of the devil, every public example of Christian leaders that have fleeced the flock, and deceived the sheep, bar it from our minds. Let these moments this morning be so individualized that you, Father, preach hundreds of individual messages to those that are gathered in the sanctuary, to those, those that are watching online, and I will pre-pray for when this goes on the television that even there you will bring us out of trusting in uncertain riches and make us zealous and generous for the advancement of the kingdom in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I typically don't solicit amens, but uh, you feel free this morning to encourage your pastor because these are not popular messages. And I don't know why. Well, I guess I do, logically speaking. But if we look at the scriptures and see the proportion of time and and verses and space that God gives to this issue of the believer's money, it it is really uh, convicting on my heart that I don't talk about it more. And so for this morning, I, I want to acknowledge something. There are some in the room that are not believers. And I want to say to you, first of all, please don't give a dime. Don't give a dime if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. It does not endear you anymore to the Lord. It does not help you where you stand with the Lord. It would be better for you if you didn't go through the motions of giving unto the cause of Jesus until you are welcomed into that cause through faith in the Lord Jesus himself. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, I want to say that there's no expectation upon you to give. The only thing that you need to be aware of is that he wants to give you something. 
He wants to give you a relationship that never ends with him. Then there are those in the room that are new Christians and nobody's ever really talked to you about what it means to give. But because you're a Christian, you have that desire to give, but you may have a hundred questions about what do I give? How often do I give? With what heart do I give? To what space do I give in the kingdom? And we get that. The beautiful thing is every true believer has a desire to give into God's kingdom, but there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Some of you have been giving your entire Christian life. You're older, you were taught to tithe as a very young Christian. You've been faithful to that tithe. Everything that you get is 10%. But I want to tell you this morning that it's possible to be a faithful tither, tither, but not necessarily a worshiper with your giving. And so I want to encourage you to inspect the heart and say, has my giving become only a mathematical dividing by 10, write a check, and I've done my duty? There's something more for you. And then others of you here today are extremely generous. And you have learned how faithful God is. He has sustained you at times. He's tested your faith at times. You've given through the hard times, the lean times, the times I, I know of some that have been laid off from work but continued their pattern of giving even when income wasn't coming in, but they said, I'm going to tithe or give as if I had that check come in. And they did what we're going to talk about today. They put the Lord to the test, and God has proven himself faithful. And then there's those of you that are saying, God, I want to give more, but the spirit of fear in uncertain economic times has owned me for a while. I want to be free from this. And this morning, God will have something for each one of us today. Let's begin in various passages of scripture. For me personally, the motivation for my giving is that I am well aware and hopefully growing in my awareness of just how much I've received. That motivates me more than anything. I have never been one that gave out of guilt. There have been times where I've given where I was perplexed about whether or not I should, but I have never felt like I had to give in order to keep God happy. My motivation and yours should be as seen in the scripture. We give because we have been made to receive unspeakable treasure. So let's begin in this first point and talk about how Christ enriches us. How does Jesus Christ enrich the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of the living God? How does he enrich us? Well, let's begin where we see that first, and this is the understatement of the year, but Christ enriches our souls. Look on the screen or in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 7 through 8, and then I'm going to read some in chapter 2. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Say this, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Come on. I am redeemed. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of trespasses. Say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. According to what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And then in chapter 2, it says, but God, here we go, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together by, uh, with Christ, and by grace you've been saved. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, watch this, why did he redeem us? Why did he forgive us? Why did he raise us up? Why has he seated us in heavenly places? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the portrait painted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, that we who were dead, we who were lost, we who were helpless, we who were hopeless, we who were enslaved with Satan being our slave master, we who were in bondage to our flesh and in bondage to our sin became the objects of divine grace. And not, with, not because of anything we deserve, God pursued us, brought us to that place of repentance. When we called upon the name of Jesus, we were forever saved set free from the penalty of our sin. We were welcomed into the family of God. We were translated out of darkness into light. We were taken out of the camp of the enemy and placed into the army of God. We went from being strangers and aliens and enemies of God to being his own adopted children, sitting at the table with him forever and ever. And this is what God's word says. God's word says, I did that because that's how you begin to see what I'm going to show you through all eternity. And that is the exceeding riches of my grace that I'm going to always lavish upon you. Amen. See, God is generous, folks. God is not that miser. 
Some of you grew up with a, a, a parental figure that was, you had to work for everything and you just barely, I mean, you had, maybe you had a dad or a granddad that you, your coins in the house had dents in them because he pinched them so tightly. And, and, and I get that, but that's not your father in heaven. He is lavish and generous. One of the reasons why, practically speaking, is because he never has to run out of what he gives. He never has to worry about running out, so there's no need for him to hold back. And he enriches our souls. See, when Jesus saved you, he gave you life. He gave you his life. He brought you into oneness with him. And that is the way you will remain forever and ever. But it goes beyond that. It's not just about we get to go to heaven when we die because the riches of his grace are now active in our life in this present day. Here, look with me in Romans chapter 11. He enriches our understanding. Paul is writing in chapters 9, 10, and 11 about some very deep dynamics of God's sovereignty and salvation. And by the time we get to Romans chapter 11, it is as if the apostle just pushes back and he says, oh, it's doxology here. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and inscrutable are his ways. There's the word again, riches. We're told in Ephesians that we're recipients of the riches of God. We're here told in Romans chapter 11 that God's riches, and, and that's the vast treasure trove of all the things that pertain to life and godliness, the things in the heart of God, moving through the will of God, materializing and manifesting from God in our lives, from the new birth until we enter into glory. Paul says, I don't understand it all, but I can praise him for it. God is vastly rich and generous in his thoughts and in his ways towards us. Back in Ephesians, Christ enriches our destiny. I know the word destiny is not popular in evangelical churches, but I do believe it is a biblical word. The more technical term might be predestination or predestined, but I like the word destiny. It just simply means this. God had a, a, a Z when he created you at A. He's going to take you from A to Z, and you have the privilege of cooperating with the process. In Ephesians 1.18, this is what Paul prays. He's talking about, uh, he's praying and, and describing his prayers for the Ephesian believers, and he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's just stop there for a minute. Are you familiar with the term joint heir with Jesus? Simply means this, as the father's unique loved son, Jesus Christ is the heir. The son is the heir to the father. But because we are in union with Jesus Christ, the Bible describes us as joint heirs with Jesus. Now, most of that seems a little mystical. It seems a little ethereal. It's out there somewhere. We get it. It sounds great. But we don't slow down a whole lot or very often to think about what kind of practical impact does this make on us? Well, number one, friends, I do believe it has an echo effect right now in this life. I do not believe that the Christian life is a life of sacrifice and suffering and misery and self-flagellation and just pray for me, I'm a Christian, but hallelujah, when I get to heaven, it's going to be great. I don't believe in that kind of representation of Christianity. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and glory, but that you might have abundant life right now. And I do believe that there is the ability to look at Scripture and say, some of that abundance is seen in the lives of God's beloved in material abundance. Now, that doesn't make me one of the slick televangelists and, and, and prosperity gospel guys, but I'm not at the other extreme either that believes that in order to be the utmost pinnacle of spirituality, you, got, you can't own a pet because that cat food money could go to the poor missionaries in Ethiopia. I've heard stuff like that before. And, and so there's a balance to be stricken, but let me ask you this. Do you, which, which way do you tilt? Do you expect God to bless you or do you assume he won't? Because if you assume he won't, let me tell you what's going on in your life. You're having to work hard to make more, to keep more, to save more, because you're skeptical about whether or not you can trust your father, and therefore, therefore, you don't give like you should. That's just the way it works when you tilt in that direction of, I don't know if I can trust God to take care of me. But we are joint heirs with Jesus that the riches that God has stored up for his son, Jesus Christ, in whom he is well pleased. And the glory which Jesus had with the Father before the world was, Jesus said, now receive me back into that in John 17. And we are joint heirs with him. By the way, it's also his inheritance in us. Now that'll blow your mind. That's actually the wording of Ephesians 1.18. 
The wording is that Jesus actually inherits something in us, that the part of what the Father promised the Son is that he would receive us. Now, you try to figure that out. I don't know. It's too hard for me to figure out, but it's not too hard for me to rejoice in. Christ enriches your destiny. You're not an orphan. The devil tells you that. Your flesh tells you that. Carnal people that don't want you to walk in the destiny that God has for you, they will tell you that. Listen, there is this aspect where people are afraid of seeing believers prosper according to the word of God. They're afraid of that. And so what we've adopted is we've adopted this minimalist approach to giving and serving and sacrificing and receiving in the kingdom. We, we, we view this as a getting by. This has been going on for decades, maybe even a century or more in the American church. And yet what God calls us to, and we're going to see it clearly here in a moment, God says, I want you to know who you are in me. You're my child. You will be my child forever. I love you. I've given you an everlasting love. I've got a new name reserved for you. You are a kingdom of priests and kings unto me. And we are, our identity is secure in Jesus. Yet, knowing that theologically, a lot of us live like orphans and beggars. And part of it is, is because we don't have the confidence that God's blessing will be on our finances. And the reason for that is, if I can risk just being confrontational here, the reason is, is because we're not obedient in following God and what he's designed for our finances. That's why most people don't have confidence that God will bless them is because they're not living in obedience that, that warrants that blessing. And so let's go further into this. He enriches our destiny. He enriches our understanding. He enriches our souls, and he enriches our purpose. Again, in Ephesians 3, he enriches our purpose. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Who wrote that? Paul. And he wasn't just all shucks. You know, he, he viewed himself that way. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What grace? The grace to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at the words that are being used. Uh, uh, Ephesians, I, I did a whole series verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, and I called the, the series Treasure Quest. Because all throughout the book of Ephesians, when we are being presented with imagery of our relationship with the Lord over and over again, it's treasure, it's riches, it is mind-blowing, it's brilliant, it's glistening, it's good. And I don't know, but I'm concerned that in our generation of Christians, people aren't viewing their salvation like that. We're viewing it dry and dusty and kind of duct taped together and we're just kind of holding on and, and, and hoping we make it through, but that's not what the scriptures say. That we, brothers and sisters, we're told right here that we have a treasure chest. And Paul said, I can't believe it. God not only gave me the treasure, but he gave me a calling to go and give it to others. The Gentiles were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the the promises of God. And yet God opened up the church to incorporate not only the Jewish believer, but the Gentile believer. And Paul, who was a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee uh, uh, of of the tribe of Benjamin, he was one of those that came forward. And God said, Paul, as the pristine Jewish man of your generation, go and take some of this glorious treasure I've given you and give as much of it to the Gentiles as you can. Our purpose as an assembly of believers is very clear. I don't think anybody would debate this. That our purpose is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, evangelizing the unbelievers, then discipling the, newly belie- or the new believers or those that have never been disciples, and then mobilizing together to continue that process. And we do that until the Lord comes back. We do it locally. We do it internationally. We do it sacrificially. And so we have this clear mandate, commission, to go and give the treasure away. And yet there are culture has taught us that the treasure's not treasure. I mean, you'd think we had cleaned out the septic tank in our backyard, put whatever was in there in a bucket, and that's what we're carrying around. I don't mean to be ugly, but that is the way that our culture views the treasure that God has given us. But we are to go out in our purpose, and it can be done in so many creative ways. But the joy of it is this, is that you have a purpose and a place and a mission in the kingdom of God. You have influence with people that your pastors and leaders will never meet. People in your sphere of influence, people that would not want to talk to a pastor. I mean, they, hope, they, they don't want to be around us because they're afraid what we got is contagious. I'm riding on a plane. This has happened more than once. I'm on a plane, and you know, you're seated next to somebody for a transatlantic flight, and you're going you're gonna to be there for a while. 
And I remember the first time I did that, I had prayed. I was like, Lord, I'm going to witness to somebody. Put me in there with somebody. I'm going to share the gospel. Amen. And I remember the guy sat down, and, you know, with about 30, 45 minutes in the flight, a little small talk. And he said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a preacher. And that was it. <laughs> Good night. Pull the shade down. Earbuds in. He's, he's done. So I have tailored my answer over the years to where the conversation at least gets 15 minutes further each time. The point being is this. There are people on the plane that you can reach that won't give me a time of day. What's the point I'm trying to make? That you have been entrusted with the riches of the gospel. That you have a purpose. You don't need a pulpit. All you need is a heart aflame with love. Love for God and love for fellow man. And it is in that simple process of saying, would you like an eternal diamond, my friend? Some will say yes. Some will say, some will say, no, thank you. You're not responsible for that. But man, for everyone that takes it, hallelujah, you've been used in the everlasting plan and mission of God Almighty, which began to be manifested when Jesus Christ came into this world. He enriches our purpose. I don't know if you're living out your purpose. I know the world pressures you. I know it's a lot right now about paying the bills, getting the kids off to school, and since school's ended, maybe getting them packed up. A lot of you are professional diaper changers and nose wipers and all of that. I got it. I understand it. Sometimes life, life, even the treasured life, even the enriched by Jesus life doesn't feel glamorous. But in the midst of all of that, retain your sense of purpose. Your purpose is found more than likely, not in the big events, but in the everyday activity and interaction, the unassuming life as it comes to you, therein God will say, I want you to thread a little of that purpose right there, right there. And at the end of that seam, there's an opportunity to share the treasure of Jesus Christ. I want to just embolden you. You can do this. Young people that have just graduated and those that are still in school, I'm going to tell you something. Satan is amping his attack against our children in the school system. You know that. We talked about that last week. What I'm going to tell you is this. Kids, fight back in faith. Your treasure is better than his sewage. And if we will recognize that, whether it's school, college, high school, elementary school, my son, oh, I'm getting off script. Here we go. It's been a while since I shared a Landon story. They were... We had to sign a permission form to, for the um, school system to have the birds and the bees class. They separated the boys and the girls, and, but parents had to sign off on it. And unprovoked, my son, it was kind of like little John Wayne, comes into the den <laughs> the day before. And he says, Daddy, if they try to teach this, that the same sex stuff is okay with God, I'm going to stand up. Do you, Dad, do you, are you going to be mad at me if I get in trouble at school? Now listen, that's a lot of fifth grade bravado, but it was, it was fueled by a righteous indignation. And what I told my son is, son, whatever you do, do it in love and do it in respect. But if God moves on you to tell the truth and there's consequences for that, no, you won't be in trouble with me. But if you get in trouble for how you did it, then there's going to be double trouble. The point is this. God, give us some fifth grade courage at the workplace. Give us some fifth grade courage at the ball field. Give us some fifth grade courage at the family reunion. Give us some fifth grader courage, Jesus. Give us that. Why? Because friends, the, when, listen, he doesn't need me to defend his treasure, but I value it. And the treasure is not just salvation. It is who he is and what he has said. And so, yes, we don't want to cast those pearls before swine in a flippant manner. But we got to recognize that within the midst of all of our sometimes mediocre lives, We've been enriched with purpose. Then also, he enriches our capacity. Follow this. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Now, here's the word again. That according to the riches of his glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now remember, I'm talking about how Christ enriches us. You said, Jeff, I thought this was a sermon on money. No, what I'm trying to do is, is lay the foundation 
of saying, we have been given so much. We have been given so much. Do you, I even notice in these verses I just read from Ephesians 3 how the devil works to counterfeit us. Listen, right here in Ephesians 3, these verses 16 through 19, we are told that Christ, from the riches of God's glory, Christ gives us strength and power. The devil says, guard your money because if you have money, you have strength and power. The, the Word of God says right here that, that, that the riches of Christ gives us our security. It talks about being rooted and grounded. The, the imagery is that we're anchored and we're stabilized and we're established. And yet the, the lie of our culture and the lie of the enemy says, you need to keep all the money that you can because if you've got money, you're secure. You're rooted. You're established. You're safe. You're, you're, you're in your cocoon. Nothing can penetrate. So the lie is, is that the more money you have, the more safe you are. It's amazing to me how we get spiritual amnesia. Friends, history tells us that's not true. The Bible tells us, obviously, but just history tells us that. Some of you lost a lot in the year 2007 through 2010. Why? It's not that you were trusting in it, it's just a cause and effect. You had something and it went away. I'm not coming against investing, that's just the nature of the market. But the point is, is this, you, were, you, you felt very secure when that money was there and then in perhaps a matter of a day or two days, your security level may have dipped. Why? Because the market did. Jesus says, no, I'll, I'll, I'll actually keep you rooted and grounded. I'll keep you established, I'll keep you anchored, I'll keep you secure, but we have a choice. Where are we going to drop anchor? What harbor are we going to make our winter in? Well, it also says right here in these verses in Ephesians 3, when we're talking about our capacity being enriched, that it is Christ and his riches that brings us the satisfaction and the fullness. It says it right there at the end, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. If there were no other verses in the Bible, that verse alone would let me know I am not done growing in my faith. Why? Because I, you might be a little further along, but I don't know if anybody would stand up and say, yep, I am currently day in and day out filled with all the fullness of God. Anybody want to take that one? Yeah, me neither. But it speaks of something else. It speaks of the satisfaction, the contentment, the fulfillment. Yes, we will not in this life be able to even handle the fullness of God in totality. We're going to need a glorified body to be able to experience that. But in the process of walking with the Lord, we learn that he satisfies. If, if you are walking with Jesus and you've been doing so for a length of time, you should be more content in him now than you were at the beginning. And if you're not, it's because distractions have gotten in. Maybe lesser loyalties have claimed territory and the acreage of your heart. There's a lot of reasons why we can get panicky. Sometimes it's life situations. You know, I've got a daughter that's going to graduate in a couple of years, and I've been thinking for years, okay, we need to make sure college, and we've got a car coming up, and all of these different expenses, and your kids get older, life gets more expensive. As you get older, your medical bills may go up as the body's not quite what it used to be. And then, of course, we've got the ever-changing complexities of our, our, our system in America, and some of you on Social Security, and, and the checks get smaller, and then we're talking about interest rate hikes, and all of this bombardment of stuff coming against our minds, and you know what will happen? the devil I don't know how he does it I just know that he does it repeatedly and I'm not giving him glory but he does it well he sneaks up and he says what you ought to do is just hold back a little bit on that kingdom investment God's kingdom doesn't need you and and God God doesn't need your money and if we picture that little devil on one shoulder angel on the other shoulder devil says God doesn't need your money the angel says yeah but your money needs the Lord the devil says don't listen to the angel he's a liar and the angel says, Father, obliterate that demon from that boy's shoulder. Ba-boom! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the point being is this. There is a tug of war. I get it. Because we live in a material culture. We have material obligations. But I, I, I'm going to ask you this. Is the everlasting kingdom ruling the temporary kingdom in your life? Or did the scales tip? where the temporary regulates what you're doing as far as investing in the eternal. 
Now, if you say, Jeff, I think that's where I am right now. I just want to encourage you. You're not the first one, and you're certainly not the only one. But my, my, the more important question is, what are you going to do to change that? Because you know what's right. And, and what, what's happened is we've been enabled in this, in this capitalistic culture. And I'm a capitalist. I don't have any problems with capitalism. But it doesn't define who I am. I believe that is the best way in an economical system to generate revenue and for prosperity to be available to all. I'm there politically, but who I am as an individual who defines me is not my capitalistic tendencies. It is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And so if my capitalistic tendencies ever cut cross grain against my Savior and his word... We don't need to take a move in a second and have a discussion on it. I have to do something. What is it? Repent. Just by way of personal testimony, when Amy and I first got married, uh, I did what a lot of uh, young married people do. Um, I got into debt. I wasn't making a whole lot of money at that time. I was a junior staff member at Meadow and uh, brand new married. We didn't have a whole lot of expenses but, you know, we, we wanted things. It wasn't really Amy's heart. It was more mine. I wanted to provide for my wife. It's kind of a 1 Corinthians 7 thing. The, the man who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. That's in the scripture. It's in there. And so I, I got us into debt that took literally probably the next four years. I just was kind of borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. It's very foolish, very foolish. It's in my late 20s very early 30s, and then there came a time, uh, probably right after Alicia was born, shortly thereafter, I, I said, this is just wrong. I'm in debt. My Bible says, owe no man anything. And I, I felt like I owed everybody something. And so I made two commitments. One, cut up the plastic. There was only two or three of them, but they had a balance on them. Cut them up, pay it off, and God, in the process, I will give more than I've ever given before. And every single year, and I'm not tooting my horn here, I'm telling you, this is how deliverance came to me. I said, the only thing I see in God's word is that he doesn't want me enslaved horizontally. He wants me to be a worshiper vertically. And so I'm not going to cop out and say, well, I worship you with everything, all that I am except my checking account. And so I brought it all before the Lord. I laid it at the altar. And I'll tell you this, through God's sovereign moves, and I think through the obedience, not because of obedience, it's different, but through that obedience, he did what I couldn't do, but he didn't do it overnight. He let me live at a much lesser level than I had been. I had to sell things. I had to discipline myself not to buy things. And then eventually, after a couple of years, I started seeing that, yes, he was blessing my efforts, humanly speaking, but then I started seeing grace come from unexpected resources that all of a sudden I realized, oh, wow, he's no longer leaving me out here on my own. He's actually working on my behalf. And I can tell you this, Amy and I live a fairly debt-free life. We do have a mortgage now, but we don't have this encroachment of expenses. We can breathe. You say, well, Jeff, that's awesome. You must be saving up tons of stuff. I'm just going to be honest with you. I try to pour as much of it into the kingdom as I can, and I'm about to tell you why. I'm about to tell you why. Oh, some of you are getting fidgety. Come on. Exhale. Exhale. You're going to get a cramp. Stop. I'm going to tell you why. It's very clear in Scripture. So let's go there. How we enrich Christ's kingdom. We've already seen how he enriches us, our souls, our understanding, our destiny, our purpose, our capacity. What is the response? It's very simple. We enrich his kingdom, and we do it now. We pour into his kingdom anything we can. I will limit my thoughts on money today. I could go with time, I could go with abilities and giftings and relationships. I'm just going to focus on the topic at hand, our wealth. Now, I know some of you are automatically saying, man, I ain't got any money. I am not wealthy. I am broke. You walk around and you're saying, uh, you go to the church house and you get in your small group or your ex ecclesia group and you, uh, you say, I got an unspoken prayer request. I just... Uh, I need y'all to pray for me. I don't want to get into the details of it right now, but, you know, I, I get it. I'm going to say this, and I know you've heard, and it sounds so cliche, but it is true. Compared to the vast majority of Earth's population, you are wealthy. You are. 
That's God's blessing. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. It is a true statement. If you've not traveled to other parts of the world, um, I recommend if for no other reason you do that to come back and be very grateful. I've seen some things in, in, in third world countries that struck me to my soul, not only with mercy and compassion and longing to help, but of, of, of how much I take for granted here back home. And so there's got to be this understanding in us that because Christ has given us the most important things, not in tiny little increments, but the Bible language is lavishly, abundantly, graciously, freely. Those are the ad adverbs that are descriptive of Christ and how he gives to us. If he has sown unto us these things that are eternal, could it be any sacrifice for us to respond with giving in the material? By the way, that's a biblical thought. Uh, Paul asked that very same thing to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 11, he said, If I have sown unto you spiritual things, is it any wonder that you would return unto me material things? And if Paul could say that, how much more could we expect Jesus to say, if I have given you the most important, enduring, lasting, and precious things out of my treasury, how much more should you be engaged in enriching my kingdom? So here we go. When we're talking about our giving, and I will be at the risk of being pedantic here, I'm going to say this is the stuff that controls my heart and my mind when I think about my giving. And I hope it'll hit you too. Prioritize giving. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Very clear. You'd have to hire a team of lawyers to confuse you about this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now I want you to follow this. This is the most, probably the simplest verse on giving in the entire Old Testament. There's plenty of New Testament too, but this verse is, I, I just like when God tells me what to do. You know, I, I, I don't like complicated, I have a hard time with complicated people. I, I don't like my own self-complication. Sometimes I just look up to the Lord and say, if you will tell me what to do, I will happily do it. I, that's just the way I am. I mean, I can tell you, we have a little chihuahua, a little rat dog, a little cat on steroids. It's a, she, she, she's just a sweet little thing. But, but I can teach her how to obey. Lord, I'm just a little chihuahua down here in the kingdom. Just tell me what to do. If Zoe can obey me, then I can obey you. Just tell me what to do. And so the Lord says, honor me with your wealth, Jeff. And Jeff, bring me the first fruits of everything you earn, of all of your produce. Now, let's just stop there because that's the, that's the call. This is the requirement. Jeff, I'm your father, I'm your God, and consequently, I'm your provider. I've already told you I'm going to take care of you. I gave you my best first when I gave you my son, and I also gave him to you when you least deserved it, when you were an enemy. So I gave you my best first when you least deserved it. Why do you doubt that I'm going to give you the lesser things now that you're my son? So the call on my life is to honor him. That takes it beyond just a, a legalistic duty. It, it, brings the, it, it imports relationship into it. That, that, that God sees this as an expression of how I value our relationship. And so I want to honor him with what he entrusts to me. And I do like what it says. It seems very comprehensive. It would seem to indicate, at least in that verse from Proverbs, that it's in everything that I earn. Whatever he brings to me, I need to be free from that attitude that says, do I have to give out of this? Do I have to give out of this? And we need the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit to change our heart to say, please, can I give more out of this? Show me how to give more out of this. But look at the back end of the verse. Because if the requirement is for me to honor him and, and to show my regard and value for our relationship by honoring him with my wealth and the first fruits, please don't miss that. The first fruits means the very first thing we consider with our income is how do we honor the Lord? Now, many in today's culture in America don't have a whole lot of discretionary spending. But I can tell you just about all of us have some entitlements that we've given to ourselves. 
And I don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as that doesn't take away from the first fruits of our giving. That means God expects me to honor him before I honor anything else of my financial obligations. Now, be very careful here. I'm not telling you don't pay your bills so you can give to the church. If you've gotten yourself into financial trouble, you're not hearing from me the counsel that says, well, forget Jackson Electric. You just need to give to the mission fund. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. If you're going to honor Lord, you need some help with your finances. And we have people here that will help you. And part of that eventually will be you've got to begin giving what you can. It's not enough for us to just say, well, man, I wish I could give, but, you know, I've got I gotta get, you know, I've got my car payment, I got my house payment, I got my kids' teeth, and da 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 da. I get, I get it. We all have obligations, but at the same time, where are you cutting to meet those obligations? You're not cutting from your giving while you're lavishing yourself in other areas, are you? You see, friends, we 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 have we have some potential for deceit of our own hearts in this issue. And so we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves. And so that first fruit says this. When, when I'm thinking about my commitments, Amy and I are looking to downsize our home and move in the same school district to a, 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 just where we can just have less house. And, and one of the things that we're looking at is, wow, man, house costs are going up. And so any obligation we make, my first thought has to be as a faithful Christian, how will this impact my giving? How will it impact my giving? That's the first question we ask, not the afterthought. But the, the driving thought is, how will this affect my investments in the kingdom? And when we do that, look at what the promise is in Proverbs 3.10. If the release is, honor the Lord with the wealth and the first fruits of all your produce, here's the reward. Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's an agrarian culture that that proverb is being written in. They're farmers, they're vineyard workers, they're vineyard owners. And, and what the Lord is saying here through the writer of the proverb, is this. If you honor me, I'm going to bless you so that you can continue to honor me. If you will release, I will reward. Now, here's where the rub comes, and it's not a complicated issue. It boils down to this. Do I trust God or not? That's what it comes down to. And you're going to have a lot of competing voices coming after you, telling you all the reasons why that's not reasonable, it's not logical, it's not sound financial advisement. And that's where our capitalistic Western culture is now superseding the roots of our faith, which is the Word of God. And so we have to repent. We have to stay repentant on this. Because God says, I'm going to bless you. And if we don't believe that, we're saying, no, you're not. I, you're not going to bless me. I said I'd bless you, but you won't. And I would echo Paul's word. Who art thou that repliest against God, O oh man? Do you see how it works? Now listen, granted, very few of us ever get into that kind of formal exchange with the Lord over stuff. We just assume we can't do it. We just assume that's not practical. We don't know how, or we're afraid. But at some point, in the name of Jesus, the body of Christ has got to stand up and not only believe John 3, 16, but believe Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Because the same author said it. Through purposeful giving, look in 1 Corinthians 16. Not only prioritized, first things first, you're giving unto the Lord, purposeful giving. Now Paul's talking about, here's a preacher talking about an offering. He says, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you're also to do. Here we go. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that will be no collecting when I come. Now you've got to remember, this is before bank accounts like we know them. This is before savings and the sophisticated bank, banking system that we have now. And so people lived hand to mouth, most of them. And what Paul said is, before the hand goes to the mouth, I want to bring an intervention. And before you spend what you've got, set it aside. And on the first day of the week, let's take up that collection. Sunday is the first day of the week. If you ever wonder if taking up an offering is biblical, it absolutely is. We're not ashamed of taking up an offering. Now, we live in a day where you can text your giving. I have no problem with that. Uh, studies show that by the year 2021, about 85% of church giving will be done online. I don't have an issue with that. I encourage you to pray over it before you text it. Slow down and honor the Lord with your texted giving or your online giving. Don't just let it be like paying you know, the gas company, but just say, Lord, thank you. 
God, you, you supplied my food and my clothing and my shelter this week. Thank you. I want to honor you with my giving. But the point being here is that it's purposeful. It means you know when you're going to give. I can't tell you how many conversations, just casual conversations I've had over the years with Christians, even church members, and they'll say, you know what? I had to write a check this morning. I had forgotten to give for the last six weeks. <laughs> what? What do you mean you forgot to give? Did you forget to pray too? Oh, no, we never do that. Well, the, friends, listen. This is part of our relationship with the Lord. It's his kingdom. And so the purposefulness is seeing that it's not an afterthought. It's prioritized in that it comes before everything else. It's purposeful and that you don't let it sneak up on you. Just go ahead and give it. I can tell you this. I have never regretted anything I've ever given as unto the Lord. Doesn't mean every dime I've ever given has been properly stewarded in the ministry that I gave it to, but I can tell you this, I gave it to the Lord. I'll answer for my giving, they'll answer for how they stewarded it. And so it frees us up to just say, Lord Jesus, I give it unto you through proportional giving. You're getting close to the end. Hang in there with me. Come on. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you remember early on in this message where I said you get to determine how much of God's blessing you want on your income? And some of you thought, that is heresy, dude. What are you talking about? I'm not. I'm applying this verse right here. The Bible says, you give a little, you'll reap a little. You plant a lot, you'll reap a lot. And again, if you don't believe that, take it up with the Lord. I'm just the messenger because God's word says, the one who only cast a little bit of seed when harvest time comes, they'll get a harvest, it'll just be a little harvest. But the one who's thinking ahead and saying, man, when harvest time comes... I want to honor the Lord of the harvest. That field doesn't belong to me. I'm just working the field. And so I want to honor the Lord of the harvest, the field owner. I want his harvest to be great. So I'm just going to pour more of my seed that I've been entrusted with into the field. And I'm going to work it. And I'm going to wait on the Father to give the, the light and the rain. But I just believe that the more seed I sow, the greater the harvest will be. And of course, what's true in agriculture is true in the spiritual kingdom. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, corn. He, he's talking about re reward and fruit from what we sow into the kingdom. And, and I love the fact that where it, it's a very subtle challenge there by the apostle to give lavishly. Don't miss that. He's not saying God disregards small giving, but he is saying, but if you want to turn it up a notch, that there is a greater reward proportional to the greater investment. And so I get to decide. And I don't think it's all just storing up treasure in heaven. I mean, I do believe that. I mean, good night alive, you're not going to have an ATM card in heaven. You're not going to be able to access your precious accounts on earth while you're in heaven. And so Jesus speaks about store it up ahead of you. Thieves can't get there. The rust won't get to it. Moths won't eat it. Just store it up in heaven. Now, do we believe that or not? I'm afraid that's become like Aesop's fable to us in this day. That's just church talk. But Jesus actually said that's the reality. So right now, there's an account set up in my name in heaven. I, I, I believe that with all of my heart. That the most, the, the omniscient account keeper knows exactly what's in it. He knows what's going to be in it. But he calls me to engage in activity that either is going to make deposits there or withdrawals. And so I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This is going to be one of those where you're going to want more and I'm not going to give you more because I don't have time. But I believe that our capacity in the, in the kingdom, when the kingdom comes to earth, that our capacity in ruling and reigning with Jesus hinges upon what we're doing right now in this life. I, I'm going to tell you something. Everybody gets the same salvation. Not everybody gets the same reward. Gr salvation is free. Rewards are earned. They are earned. And that is why we're, we're commissioned and we're called in Scripture not to, for the sake of the treasures of this world, 
even to the extent of one man forfeiting his own soul. I mean, the illustration is, you know, we're, we're fools. If we give in exchange for our own soul life on earth, but I will say equally that we're equally as foolish to forfeit rewards. John told the church, let no man take your reward from you. That, that we can actually forfeit those rewards. But however, on the positive side, there's no stopping you about what kind of reward you can store up for yourself. But I promise you, it's like any other investment. You can't have it now and have it then too sometimes. There will be a, a direct blessing on you as you release in this life. But what you release in this life, you send on ahead of you. If you release it, you can't invest it down here in the sense of in, in non-kingdom things. You following me on this? I don't know. I, I don't want to make it in by the skin of my teeth. I don't. I, I don't want to spend the eternal state saying, I cannot believe. I mean, not that you're going to be disappointed in heaven. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that. But, but the loss at the judgment seat of Christ, where the Bible says some will suffer loss, I, I don't want to look back and say, man, for my 80 years on earth, I lived for a declining American currency, and I forfeited everything out ahead of me that could have been mine in the kingdom. These are big thoughts. They're big thoughts that maybe seem too big for you to latch on to, but let me just say this. We need to latch on to them. Because how we're living now has a, a ripple effect into the kingdom. And the beauty of this is this is a free offer to all of us. The wealthy have no more ability in this, this principle than the poor because we're all accountable for what we have. You know, the widow couldn't have paid off the temple that day with her one mite. But Jesus says, yeah, guys, did you see her? They didn't even notice her. Isn't it interesting that the Lord was watching who was giving? I just said interesting. She, when she put in that little coin, he said, did y'all, did, guys, did you see that? She gave more than everybody. There were people that had more money, but nobody got a better reward that day. Why? Because the Lord is the one who gives you what to steward, and he blesses according to how you steward it. So we're getting down to the very end. I see what time it is. Through proving giving. Luke 16. I'm not even going to belabor this one. I think I've already touched on it. But Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And here's the principle. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And the summary statement, you can't serve God and money. And man, how we try. Come on. We try. We just try to ride that fence. And it's unfortunate because Jesus is very clear. I, I, I think the difficulty is, how do we discern making money, generating income, prospering in this world, which I don't believe the Lord is against prosperity. How do we discern the difference between that versus serving money? I think it goes back to the opening passage I read out of 1 Timothy, those who desire to be rich. And if you desire to be rich, I just give you some pastoral counsel here. You need to check your heart. At the very least, you need to say, why do I want to be rich? Now, I know some great kingdom servants that are extremely wealthy and they have set their heart to make money in the kingdom so they can take what they make and invest it in the kingdom. Nothing wrong with that. They're very rare. Most people want to be rich because it provides what Ephesians 3 said that Christ provides. What is it? Power and strength, security, and satisfaction. And the lie of our culture is if you have more money, you have more power. And it's a power that you can't do without. So just get rich and you'll be powerful. If you have more money, you'll, you'll be secure. You'll never worry. Like, like all of the Hollywood elite, they never worry about anything, right? Some of the most unhappy people. I, mean, I don't wish that on anybody, but they've got more than all of us. And they're not happy. 
They're not satisfied. So brothers and sisters, I know this is a little bit of a downer, but this is what I'm doing. I'm just presenting the mirror for you and I to look into. The mirror of God's word. What do we see regarding ourselves and our finances? I'm going to end it on a high note. Malachi 3.10, you say you can't preach a message on money without Malachi 3 through potent giving. And this is my challenge to all of us. Malachi, of course, writing in an Old Testament economy, he says, bring the full tithes into the storehouse. This is God speaking through Malachi. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. In other words, take care of the need of the temple and thereby put me to the test. Now, whoa. God is saying, and it's inscripturated, it's still in your Bible, that means he's still saying it. He's saying, hey, believers, my children, put me to the test. Put me, your God, to the test. Test you about what, Lord? Well, he goes on. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Oh, Jesus, help me. That's some happy scripture right there. This, I mean, listen. God is saying, again, my people, honor me with your wealth. Now, what's beautiful is in compassion, he knows it's a wrestling match for his people. Because he, he, he doesn't say, well, of course you trust me. Of course it's easy for you to trust me. He knows our hearts. So therefore, he presents it to us as, I, I want you to put me to the test. You know, us preachers, we say, We're, God's going to test you on this issue. And what the Lord says is actually, no, how about you test me? H- how about you, my children? You, you just, I'm willing to take the test. You test me. Honor me with your giving. And this is what the Lord says. And so it's a great opportunity to be a Bible believer or a Bible denier. God says this. Just see. And he gives us imagery here. He- heaven doesn't have windows, okay? But it's, it's, it's poetical language. Just picture it. Come on, use your sanctified imagination. God opens up double-pane glass window, and he takes from his treasury. He says, look at her down there. She does not have a whole lot. She's a single mom. She is struggling to make ends meet. You know what? She's been so faithful. I don't think anybody else notices, but I do. Boom, and he pours it out. And sister so-and-so just gets drenched with the blessing of God the next month. Maybe it's a raise. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's an inheritance. Maybe it's some unexpected thing. Maybe if she wants one, it's a husband who can roll, amen? I mean, he's doing good. If she wants one, you don't need them necessarily, ladies. You got the Lord. But maybe it's that. I don't know. It could be the same thing for for a, a young person or a senior citizen living on a fixed income. This is what God says. You just keep honoring me because I'm going to keep on blessing you. And he doesn't describe it as, you know, uh, where's a shot glass? Let me just find it. Okay. Pour out, rain down, lavish you with blessing. The people that believe that are the people that have taken the Lord up on his offer to test him. If you don't believe it, it's because you've never tested him or you didn't test him long enough. And I want to encourage you. The backside of this promise is in verse 11. He's not only going to bless you, he's going to fight what opposes you. And he's, he's saying this in the context of your earnings. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. What he, he's talking to farmers. All it took to ruin a whole year of a farmer's work was a swarm of hungry locusts. And they come in and they... And they're gone, and so is his work. And the Lord says this, I'm not only going to bless you, but when the enemy comes in to steal from you, I am going to take care of him too. And brothers and sisters, I don't know you can get a more comprehensive promise, a more comprehensive promise from God on your wealth and your finances than what we've discussed today. I didn't cover all of it, but I guarantee you, we covered enough of it today for some of us to say, God, I'm going to trust you at a level I never have before. For some of you, it's to begin to give, to begin to give. You say, Jeff, how much? Talk to the Lord of the harvest. He'll tell you exactly what to do. 
I'm not here to give you a percentage. Talk to him, just honor him in however you respond. Some of you that have never given, it's very clear you're to be a giver. You say, Jeff, I can't afford it. You can't afford not to. You will find that the Lord will bless you in ways when you enter into this. Some of you that do give, I'm just going to encourage you, check your heart and make sure you're still enjoying giving. Because if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it right. And I'm going to tell you, when, when it becomes a joy to you, you'll give better. You may even give more, but you'll definitely give better. And for those of us, there's a few of us, I would just count myself in the midst of it. Some of us are really blessed of the Lord. If you ever want to know what I make by virtue of my salary here at the church, you come and ask me, and I'll let you know. Don't ask our secretaries. Well, actually, if you don't trust me, ask this financial secretary, Jill Rakestraw. She'll tell you what I make. I don't, I'm not ashamed of it, nor am I proud of it. I'm not hiding it. This is my point. I've been able to say for a long time to the leadership of the church, I don't need a raise. And the reason why is because God takes care of me. So I consider myself very, very blessed financially. And so for those of us that fall into that category, let us lead the way in our sacrificial giving. Don't sound a trumpet. We're not here to brag about it. But what we're here to do is in honoring the Lord, we're here to say that we will lead the way. Interesting, very interesting. Recent studies, last five years, show that in our churches, it is not the wealthiest that give the most. Think about what would happen I consider myself wealthy if the wealthy outgave everyone. It wouldn't let everybody else off the hook, but what it would do is say this, Lord, we know from whom come our blessings. And whether it's a little this year or much, we're going to honor you so that this will be a place of wondrous wealth.